Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Anybody ever have the flu? Come on. Anybody ever have to battle the flu in your household? Is that not the worst? Or w- it's the worst. Now, I-, I can handle when it comes to the flu. I can handle a sore throat, body aches. I can handle uh, swollen glands because you take a few Advil and you're okay. You can function. But what I can't tolerate is the stomach. Stomach is the worst. Like you can't, you can't do anything when your stomach is messed up. You don't feel like doing anything. You don't want to take any type of medication. You just want to lay there and pray that God either takes you home or takes that stomach flu away, right? Yeah. Now, <laughs> I think as much as... It's tough to have the flu and battle it um, as an adult. I think one of the most difficult things for me, though, is to watch my kids when they're sick. Because the, you, you want to you wanna jump right in. And we've been battling the flu in my household over the last three weeks. We're, we're out of the woods. N- none of us are sick by the grace of God. Um, but let me show you my, my two girls. They kicked it off for us. Way to go, champions, Right. We woke up one day to not one fever, but two fevers, and not two, one kid throwing up, but two kids. Now, one kid is tolerable, fever and throwing up, but two kids, it's unbearable. I mean, Jackie, she looked like a major league baseball player as she was catching throw up like this. Oh, oh, oh. Now, some of you guys are asking, well, where were you at? Well, I was, my hands were lifted. I was praying. <laughs> I was like Moses on the mountaintop interceding for my kids, doing the spiritual thing, right? But it's, 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 it's really tough. It's really hard when you're sick, especially um, as a parent. And I look at my, my girls. I think it's the, the hardest thing is that it's, you're, you're really out of control. Like you want to fix it. You want to make the sickness go away. You want it to... You know, you want to do whatever you can to, to make them feel better. But, but the truth is, if God doesn't touch them in that moment, they're probably going to have to ride it out for a few days. And, and we want to fix stuff as parents. We want to fix stuff as people. We want to be in control of things. And, and there's nothing worse than seeing your kid and they're just, oh, mom, dad, they're crying. They're getting sick. It's just heartbreaking. After the third one, it gets easier. But it's just, it's heartbreaking, right? You're like, oh, she's throwing up. She'll be fine. <laughs> Leave her alone. <clears throat> but... I think the, the, the reality is, is that um, none of us, we don't like to, to be out of control. But, it, but it's interesting of, of what happens next. So we realize we can't fix it. But what happens next, it's, it's kind of like supernatural. It's almost as if I looked at Jackie and she looked at me. I looked at her like, boo, you ready? She looked at me like, are you ready? I said, are you ready? I said, I'm ready. You ready? She said, I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Disinfect on three. One, two, three. Disinfect, right? And you kind of go into this preparation mode because we, we felt really overwhelmed. We felt definitely uh, two kids being sick. We're trying to keep our other one away from them. So it was a little bit overwhelming. But you just kind of go into this mode where it's like, I'm going to grab the Clorox wipes. So I'm going to disinfect the house. You take inventory on the medicine. Let's make sure we have saltines, chicken noodle soup, and Pedialyte. Well, this is life of a parent. Uh, Let's make sure we get some buckets because Lord knows I don't want to do laundry during this time. And we want to save our towels because we just got new ones and they're nice. So make sure we have some buckets so in case these girls start getting sick, um, they're going to have an option. Uh, And then we're going to have to get our our schedule together. We're going to have to compare our calendar because our week is going to look a little bit different. 
You see, as, as we're looking at the girls, and all the signs and the symptoms are saying, we're probably going to be here for a few days. So we got to sync our calendars together because everything is going to change in regards to our week in light of this reality, in light of these signs, in light of these symptoms. We're probably going to be here for a few days. Now, I felt my, my assignment today is to, to propose to you that there is also another reality on the horizon. There is another reality that whether you believe it or not, whether you, would like to believe it or not, it's a reality that, that's going to happen. And it's a reality that's completely out of my control, and it's a reality that's completely out of your control. And if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, and it's this reality that Jesus is coming again. It's not the most popular message being preached today, but I think it's probably the most encouraging and probably one of the most important and probably one of the most necessary is that Jesus is coming back. There's a reality that's outside of our control that my hopes today is that even though it may be out of our control that he's coming, uh, we uh, can get prepared. We can be ready for his appearing. In fact, in, in Acts chapter 1, we're going to turn there in just a minute, but let me paint the, the, let me paint the picture for you. Let me give you a little bit of context. So at this particular point, Jesus has been born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, risen from the dead, and is about to ascend into heaven. And, uh, and he, let me kind of tell you what happened over this period of 40 days in between the resurrection and his ascension. It says that basically Jesus, uh, he appeared to his disciples after he rose from the dead, and, and for over 40 days he hung out. He appeared to over 500 witnesses, which in the court of law here in the United States of America, one witness um, can put somebody in jail for life is credible. How about 500? And Jesus made it very clear. Listen, I'm not an apparition. I'm not a ghost. Like, I'm the resurrected king. In fact, we're going to have a couple of staff meetings while I'm here. We're going to eat some good food. And then I'm going to go ascend into heaven. Now, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem. That power from on high, that the Holy Spirit would come upon them in power and endue them with the power that would enable them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus just got done declaring that, and we pick up in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Look what it says. It says this, after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Continue. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Well, it's pretty awesome. He's going up. It's, it's quite a scene. Um, the same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. He's coming back, ladies and gentlemen. Scripture is very clear that Jesus will return. It's kind of hard to fathom, isn't it? I mean, really think about what we believe. We believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, 
died a death on the cross, rose from the dead on the third day, ascended into heaven, and is coming in the clouds on a white horse. That sounds a little like, whoa. But it couldn't be more true. Do you know right now there's about 20 or there's about 2,500 prophecies written in the scriptures about what's to come. 2,000 of those have already been fulfilled. His track record is pretty good when it comes to fulfilling what he has spoken. He's coming again. Now, for all of us control freaks, we don't mind the fact that he's coming again. But we have some tension with we don't know when. And really, we want to know when because we want to see how much margin we have, right? If we know he's coming back in three weeks, then we can have an attitude at least for two. <laughs> right? At least for two. And so we, we like to be in control, but Jesus said, I'm so sorry, but it's going to be completely out of control. The timing is completely out of your control. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, it says, but concerning that day, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Nobody knows the day. And as much as we would like to wrestle with and try to place dates and times, I can't tell you how many people said, he's coming on Saturday and we're still here. So anybody tells you that they know when Jesus is returning, you say, hold that thought and you run as fast as you can. Run away from them uh, because they're not telling you the truth. Run away. But nobody knows the time or the hour. Now, the, the awesome thing I love about the Lord is he just didn't leave us hanging there, though. He just didn't say, hey, you, you don't know when. Figure it out. Maybe it's now, right? He said, yeah, nobody knows the time. Nobody knows the hour. Nobody knows the day. He said, but I'm not going to leave you hanging there. And if you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. He says, even though you don't know the time, the hour, the day, there will be signs and there will be seasons that you can lean into and pay attention of what's happening in the world. Signs and seasons. So there, there was, a, there was two, two preachers, Baptist preacher and a Methodist preacher. They had churches right across the street from one another. And they both were nailing signs into the ground uh, on, on one particular day. And the Baptist preacher's pounding his sign into the ground. And his sign says... <clears throat> Excuse me, his sign says, you, be, you need to get right with God. He says, it, it says, uh, I forgot what it, what, what does his sign say? Um, his sign said, the end is near. The end is near. And then the Methodist preacher is pounding his sign into the, to the concrete and it says, turn around before it's too late. The end is near. Turn around before it's too late. Well, a car is driving by. He rolls down his windows, and he sees the signs, and he says, you religious fanatics, you weirdos, you guys are crazy. And then a couple moments later, you hear a screech and a splash. And the Methodist preacher looked at the Baptist preacher. He said, maybe our sign should have just said, bridge out. Some of you guys will get that in the car. You'll get it in the car. You'll be like, bridge out. I get it. I stole that from a pastor. It's, I thought it was funny. Um, but Jesus said there will be signs and there will be seasons. And, and, and there's, a, there's a, a passage in Matthew chapter 24 that walks us through a couple of 
of these signs before we actually get into the tribulation period. Now, I don't have time to break down uh, all of eschatology today, uh, but I'm going to do my best in a couple of moments just to kind of help bring some perspective from a 30,000-foot view of some signs and some seasons that we need to pay attention to as followers of Jesus. Um, and even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I suggest you lean into these today. This isn't my opinion. I'm just, I'm just going to give you the Bible today. And so Matthew chapter 24, I'm going to read to you. I'm not going to have these on the screen. Matthew chapter 24 gives us some signs that we know we're, 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 we're getting closer and closer to the return of Jesus. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 4. It says this, Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. One of the first signs is going to be deception. If you're taking notes, jot this down. A great deception. That there's going to be a lot happening in the world as we get closer and closer to, to Christ's return. It's going to get pretty intense, ladies and gentlemen. And People are going to be asking a lot of questions. I don't think it's too far-fetched from, from even the, the time that we're living in right now. So many people are, are desperate. They're asking questions. They're, they're, they, they feel this sense like, I, I can't tell you how many people I talk to that they're not followers of Jesus. They don't go to church. But they're like, man, there's just something in the air. I just sense that just something is happening. And so, so what's going to happen as a result of that, a lot of false teachers are going to arise because they're going to want to answer some questions for them, but it's not going to be the right answers. And there's going to be a lot of deception. A lot of people saying, hey, I'm Jesus over here. Jesus is over here. Like I told you, if anybody tells you that, run. Jesus says, many are going to come in my name that have nothing to do with me. I think this, this also um, could, could, you know, deception, remember, always has kind of a little bit of truth woven with a lie. So it's not like people are, are just going to be crazy standing on the the street corner with signs saying return or burn or any of that, it's going to be well-meaning people that are leading people astray with false doctrine, with false teaching outside of the scriptures. Uh, the second thing that we want to lean into is distress. Jesus said as we get closer and closer to his return, there's going to, there's going to be a lot of distress in the land. In fact, it continues in Matthew chapter 24, verse 6, and says that there will be wars and rumors of wars, that nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. But then Jesus kind of pauses and says, but don't be alarmed. All of these things must happen, but the end is not yet. So, so Jesus is saying, man, there's going to be a lot of distress. Now, we talked a little bit about just the wars and rumors of wars just in our time. I mean, the threat of nuclear war from Korea, it's been a big hot topic. But there's a ton of other, that, ton of other rumors of wars and different things that are happening across the globe that we never hear about. But let me, just, let me tell you what, what's a little bit unique about our time. Is that back in the day, if you were going to attack somebody, but missiles didn't exist, like the threat didn't feel as distressful. It didn't feel as imminent. Like, hey, if you're across the globe, we have no type of technology that can reach, I just, that, that couldn't even reach if, it, if we wanted to. I mean, we'd have to get into boats. We'd have to travel across the globe. And so if somebody's threatening you, you're like, yeah, whatever. You're giving your buddy a high five. Like, we're solid. They're not coming. But now with technology, all of a sudden, it's, give, it's given us some advanced equipment that makes the threats a little bit more, uh, how do you want to say that? A little bit more uh, distressful. Because all of a sudden, it's, poss it's possible. It's possible. 
like, man, somebody could push a button and missiles could start flying all over the map. And so it's just a little bit more distressful. Am I saying that we're living in the end times and Jesus is returning tomorrow? I'm not saying that at all. I'm just making a few observations. Just looking at some of the signs that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 24. The, last, the, the next thing that, that Jesus gives us a little bit of uh, insight into is disaster. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, Jesus says there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Luke goes on to continue that uh, as we get closer and closer to the end times that uh, the, the seas are going to be stirred up and, and, and people are going to be shaken and, and there's going to be this sense of terror. And the Bible's not specific on what that terror is, but it's a terror. It's a fear that people are overwhelmed with anxiety. And then Luke goes on to say that there's going to be signs in the heavenlies and in and the cosmos. And, and so it's just, you know, these are things that Jesus says that, hey... Um, nobody knows the time, nobody knows the hour, but as we get closer and closer to the day of his return, look for some signs and some seasons as we're pursuing the Savior. Now, one of the things we don't want to do is just live all day seeking a sign. That's not the goal. That will drive you crazy, and we're going to talk about that later uh, in this message. But we just want to be mindful. Be mindful as we're walking through the seasons of life, which I think this next verse is really key. Matthew 24, verse 8. I want us to look at it together. It says this, all of these, Jesus said, are the beginning of birth pains. Like we're not in the tribulation yet. It's just these are some symptoms, some signs and some seasons that we want to be mindful of. Now, this paints a great picture for us. Because when it comes to birth, uh, I've watched Jackie deliver three of our girls. And uh, every single one was a little bit different but had the same flow. Meaning this. She started to feel a contraction. Is that a contraction? I'm not really sure if that's a contraction. And then several days. There, there was kind of this, this lightweight contraction and then a span of time and then another contraction. And then the closer and closer we got to, the birth, to delivery to the day where our baby was going to be born, the closer we got to that day, the contractions became more intense and they became more frequent. More intense and more frequent. And then all of a sudden what happens? She goes into labor. And so Jesus is basically saying, listen, as we look at the times, nobody knows the day. Nobody knows the hour. Pursue Jesus. There's a lot more things that are important than looking for signs. However, um, we want to be mindful of the times and the seasons that we're living in. It's just wise. And we want to be mindful of what the Bible says about these things. Now, there's so many different aspects and and. Scholars have wrestled with some of these things over the ages. But there's, there's, there's a few things that, uh, as we look at today, that I think are going to be a little bit interesting in regard to the times that we're living in. But before we get there, one of the things that's been kind of astonishing for me is the conversations that I've been having over the last couple of months. There's a lot that's been happening in our world. And one of the things that I want to be very careful of is I'm not trying to scare or manipulate or anything like that using the events of our world. But I'm simply just to say, hey, this is where we're at. I don't think all, any of us are ignorant of the times that we're living in and things that have been happening. And so, you know, you have uh, the hurricanes, you have the earthquakes, you have um, the threats of, you know, nuclear war. You have um, uh, you have. Uh, all of these things that, that are, are kind of unraveling, we have Las Vegas that just kind of 
came out of nowhere and just brought a lot of distress, not just to the people in Vegas, but across our nation, and it's impacting the globe. I mean, everybody is looking in on this. And so, but when you look at all these things, what's interesting about the conversations that I've been having is people are, 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 are coming to me, not just with the fact that these things are happening, because just those in and of itself is, is a little bit overwhelming, but the reoccurring theme is, man, all these are happening at the same time. Like, it just seems like back to back to back to back. And, and it's, it's got people's attention. And I, I talk to a lot of people, not just Christians. But like I've told you over the last couple of weeks, I've sat with a lot of people who they've never even stepped foot in a church. I talked to one young man in particular, and, and he, just, he, he just feels it. He's like, man, this is scary stuff for me. I've never really sat down and looked at the, the globe in this, with this type of perspective. There's so many things happening. What do you think about this? People are asking questions. But I'm not saying that because those are happening simultaneously that we're, you know, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, guys, we're living in a time where we need to understand the times that we're living in. And we also need to pay attention to the words that Jesus has spoken. And I think there's a great opportunity for people to be open to the gospel. Because they're asking questions, we just want to make sure that, that we're ready with, with answers. But let me tell you what, what I think is a little bit unique about our days. Because every generation thought Jesus was coming in their time. The disciples were convinced that Jesus was coming. I don't think you could have convinced Peter otherwise. Peter was stunned like, man, he's coming back. It's imminent. It's at hand. Like, he's going to come. But then people started mocking a little bit just a couple decades in. Where's he at, Pete? It's been a while. And Peter goes on and, and he explains to, to people who are asking questions. And he says, listen, God's delay doesn't mean his denial. And he goes on to answer that question. He said that God is actually delaying because his heart is that no one would perish. God is actually delaying giving people an opportunity to repent and turn to him. And so God's delay does not mean his denial by any means. So Peter was trying to put some things in perspective. But every generation thought, I mean, you got to imagine when Hitler came on the scene, it's it. He's the Antichrist. The world is coming to an end. I mean, there was a lot of that flowing around in that time. Every generation thought that Jesus was coming in their lifetime. Now, let me tell you what I think is a little bit unique about our generation. Now, let me, let me preface this one more time. I'm not saying Jesus is coming tomorrow. I'm not saying that. So don't leave here and say, man, he said he's coming tomorrow. Don't do that. <laughs> but what I'm saying is there are a couple of interesting things that I find interesting that you might find interesting in regards to the time that we live in. And the first one is global satellite technology. Revelation chapter 11. Now, there's a lot of debate over Revelation chapter 11. Scholars go back and forth, but I would propose because of the language that's used in Revelation chapter uh, 11 that the people that, that, that the scripture talks about are really people. And let me explain. I'm just going to break this down real quick. In Revelation chapter 11, the Antichrist or the beast puts to death these two witnesses. Now, these two witnesses, many scholars, some believe that it's going to be Enoch and Elisha. Some believe it was Moses and Elisha. Some scholars don't even believe that those, those some believe that those witnesses are more symbolic to represent uh, several other things that I don't have time to get into today. 
But the word witness there is the same word that's used in the book of Acts. It's, it's the word martyr. And so, so I think just from the text interpret, interpreting the text that it's clear that this, these are going to be two people. And what's interesting is in this particular passage, you can go back. I want you to read these yourself. I want you to go back. I want you to study and dive into the scripture yourself. Um, but it says that, that these guys are going to be struck down dead and that for three and a half days, all nations, tribes, and tongue, every nation, every tribe, every tongue will be able to see and watch their bodies lay. Now, up until satellite technology was available, that was, I mean, that wasn't even, uh, to, to, try to, con- to try to even understand or, 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 um, or have any type of concept of, of the entire world being able to look in one place seemed kind of foreign. But now it's, it's really possible. It's incredibly possible. And I'm not saying that every tribe, every tongue, every nation has satellite technology. But all I'm saying is, is it becomes more and more practical for that reality to, to come into play. Uh, the second thing is uh, global financial technology. Uh, Revelation chapter 13 speaks of the <coughs> Antichrist creating uh, a particular way of people... Uh, almost like a, a currency, if you would, that people would use to buy and to sell. And unless they have what, what the Bible calls as the mark of the beast, which would be placed on your, your, for, your hand or your forehead, so you go to Walmart and boop, um, that, that is going to, a lot of times people thought, what is that mark going to look like? Is it going to be a tattoo? Are you going to have like 666 across your forehead? No, I, I don't think so. But now we're, we're living in a time where all of a sudden it's, it's, man, that doesn't seem so far-fetched in light of chip technology and things that we have. In fact, a, a company, the New York Times, came out with an article, you can read it on your, on your own, that a Wisconsin company has recently uh, decided to do beta testing with chips inserted to all their employees um, so they can keep track of everything and all that good stuff. So I'm just saying that's just interesting to me. I'm not saying it's Jesus is coming tomorrow. I'm just saying, hey, that's a little bit interesting. And then lastly is global evangelism. One of the things that, that um, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, is that before the end comes, before he returns, is that every tribe or every nation uh, will have been reached with the gospel. Now, the word nation that he uses there is not the word that describes the 193 nations that we would know, but it's actually to dis- it's the word ethos, which is people groups, which right now currently there are 17,000 people groups on the planet, and 10,000 of those have been reached with the gospel. So there leaves about 7,000 people groups that have yet to be reached with the gospel. They, they don't have Bibles. They don't have missionaries, any of that sort. And what's really cool is that as a church, I'm excited that as we partner with our denomination, we give to missions every single month. Um, every single month, a part of all the ties that come in goes to missions. And we learned at our district meeting this la- in September last month, that Foursquare is working really hard at going to, to nations that are unreached, going to, um, to people groups that are, have yet to be reached with the gospel. So really pumped about that. Um, but, but global evangelism also, a lot of people today, are the gospel is flourishing across the globe. In the 105, uh, 195 nations, as we would know it, the gospel is thriving in all of them except 20. And 20 of those nations, it's on the decline, the United States being one of those 
um, on the map. Now, I'm not bummed about that because I'm excited for what God is doing in our nation. I'm excited. Churches are being planted like crazy. Um, we are a part of, of ARC, which is Association of Related Churches, which, again, we're giving every single month, and 100% of those proceeds go to church plant. 100% go to, the, go to church plants in our nation. Last month, we all together collectively uh, planted 36 churches in the U.S., which is huge. It's awesome. Uh, <clears throat> We're currently, as a church, we just, uh, we've been supporting a church plant in San Francisco. They just launched a few weeks back. Um, and we also partnered with a church in Fresno. Many of you guys remember pa Pastor Anthony. Uh, they just launched a second campus. And uh, people are getting saved. And it's, it's awesome. But, but it's really interesting in regards to how many people. Now, you got to understand that in all of these, uh, in all of these uh, stats, that you got to give a little bit of uh, wiggle room because... Um, and the stat I'm about to show you, these are people who profess to be Christians, but across the board, I mean, you can't really identify that um, 100%. But, but let me show you this statistic, which is pretty mind-blowing. That in 1970, there were 1.2 billion Christians. In 2017, 2.6 billion Christians, more than doubled. Now, what's interesting is, is more people have come to Christ in the last 47 years than in one in than before than 1970 years ago. And so in 47 years we've seen a huge increase of people coming to know Jesus. Again, in that 2.6 billion, I don't know how you would verify uh, everybody that's solid, but I think just for the sake of numbers, we see that God is doing something across the land. Now, now what does that mean for us? Like, like why, why, Pastor Matt, why would you share this information? Um, what does this mean for us? Well, like we looked at a couple weeks ago, I knew that this message was going to be a little bit more of a teaching than preaching. So if I'm a little bit more calm, it's because I want to make sure that I, I kind of lean into the details. And, um, but in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, um, we looked at this reality. It's a passage that a lot of people don't read or never even heard of. But uh, the men of Issachar, it's really, I think they were on to something. That they understood the times that they were living in, and they knew what Israel should do. And so I think it's important for us, too, that, that we're mindful. You know, the, the beautiful thing about, um, about following Jesus is that uh, you learn uh, very quickly uh, not to, how should I say this? Uh, actually, I'm going to save that for uh, another moment or two. Um, but these guys, they knew what to do. They knew what Israel should do. So if you're saying, Pastor Matt, what do we need to do? Well, I would propose that as a church, as a church, scholars, commentaries, all these people can wrestle over all these topics. But there's one thing that we're, we're all in agreement on, is that's that Jesus is coming back. He's going to return. And I think for us, the goal isn't so much to get tripped up with the signs, though we're to be mindful. Don't get tripped up with the seasons, though we're to be mindful. But rather, I think the greater urgency is that we begin to live our life in such a way as if he's coming back today. Now, I always thought that would be a cool illustration if all of a sudden, boom, like he came back right when I said that. Like, everybody was like, oh. Some were like, I'm left behind. No, I'm just kidding. That's a whole other That's a whole other message. But it's that we live in light of that reality. So this is what I would propose to you today. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Is that if we are going to live in the reality of Christ's return, we have to return to reality. 
if we're going to live in the reality of Christ's return, we have to return to reality. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 37 and 44, look what he says. He says that when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize. It wasn't real to them. What was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. I think that there are a lot of people today over the last several months that are experiencing something similar. Like my aunt in Puerto Rico, my great aunt in Puerto Rico, there's no way, nobody expect, nobody woke up that day and thought, man, it was going to be, or that month, I should say, there was a little bit of preparation. Nobody expected it to do so, that those hurricanes would do so much damage. I, I think uh, the earthquakes that hit Mexico and people didn't wake up that day and think, Man, there's going to be an earthquake today. People are going to lose their lives. I think probably one of the most astonishing is, is when we look at what happened in Las Vegas. Could you imagine? I mean, they're doing anything that many of us would do on, on a regular basis. Have out their phones, having a great time, listening to some music, and then the person next to you just falls. It's like, man, what's, what, what's going on? And all of a sudden, everything just becomes kind of surreal. I mean, people are still trying to process the reality of what's happening because it just seems so far-fetched. But one of the greatest, one of the things that, that, that is so dangerous is to think that because something hasn't happened, that it's not going to. Sometimes we just get caught up, well, it, it hasn't happened. Jesus has been taking a long time. That does not mean he's not coming back. And so, so in the days of Noah, they were, you know, hanging out, eating, drinking, getting married. Now, What's wrong with that? Nothing. Nothing's wrong with that. But they did not understand the times that they were living in. And they weren't listening uh, to Noah as he's saying, man, it's going to rain. I know I look crazy and I'm building this big old ship in the middle of the desert. But, man, it's going to rain. And God told me. And I know. I mean, imagine Noah as a preacher. The only people that listened were his family. I'm like, man, that had to be rough for all those years. He's preaching and everybody's like. Sorry, we, we don't care. We're, we're going about our lives. Now, I'm not saying that we should crawl into a cave and be afraid and just wait for the return of Christ. That's weird. That's not what God has called us to do. But, but he's called us to live in the reality of that. Because how many of you guys could imagine what your life would look like if you lived in the reality of his return? Let's just say it, let's just say it wasn't going to happen in our lifetime. How would your life still be different if you lived with that reality every single day? I don't think your, your marriage would complain. Your spouse, I don't think they would complain. Because you probably have a different perspective on your relationships. I think that, you know, if we lived like Christ was coming today. Now, some of you guys, you guys are like, I'd spend all my money and charge up all my credit cards. That's what Peter is about to address in a minute. But how would life be different if you lived in light of that reality? So how does this unfold and how does this play out? How do we live in light of Christ's return? Well, Peter tells us. Peter tells us, and this is the first thing I want you to jot down. We're only going to hit one point today. We're going to hit the other two over the next couple weeks. Just one point today. And that's this, that we have to be disciplined in prayer, not drunk in distraction. We have to be disciplined in prayer, not drunk in distraction. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. He says, the, the end of all things is at hand. I'm telling you, Peter thought like, Jesus is coming. 
The end is at hand. He's coming. It's imminent. Like, we got to be on, we can't be caught sleeping. Like, we have to be alert. We have to be ready. And so Peter said, so therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. So this word self-controlled, it comes from the, the notion of that you're not fanatically moved by a plethora of emotions. Like, you're not unstable emotionally. Oh, my, he's coming back. Oh, my, what? You're not, that's not you. You're not living in this overwhelmed sense of frantic or fear. There, there's a self-control. You understand the season and the time that you're living in, but there's a, there's a sense of control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. There's a sense of control. There's a sense of, hey, listen, I am going to live like he's returning, but I'm going to prepare like he's not. So I'm going to be smart financially. I'm still going to be a good steward of my relationships. I'm, I'm still going to be wise with how I engage the world. But then he says, and be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now, this word, this word is interesting. In the original language, it's just sober. Now, some people say you don't need to go back to the original language because people don't want to hear that. I disagree. I think you do want to hear it. I think you want the truth. So, or I think you, it, it helps paint a clear picture. Um, and so, sober-minded, minded is not in the original language. Minded is added to to create the metaphor that Peter is trying to, to speak of. But I think it's pretty powerful when you look at just sober. Be self-controlled and sober for the sake of your prayers. So now the, the logical question is, how does prayer flow from sobriety? And how does a lack of prayer flow from drunkenness? It's almost as if Peter was to say, listen, prayer is so important. As we are waiting for Christ's return. Let me tell you why the enemy fights so hard against prayer. He fights so hard against prayer because prayer has a way. Anytime you're going to go to prayer, a couple things are going to be involved. You. God's word. God. That's a pretty powerful moment. And what, what, what the enemy knows is that if he can keep you from prayer... He can keep you from, he, if he can keep you outside of prayer, he also has a greater chance of deceiving you when it comes to reality. Because what, what does prayer do? Prayer has a way, as we're spending time with God intimately, as we're, I think one of the highest forms of prayer is listening to God's word, soaking it in and absorbing it. And what tends to happen is, is in prayer, God begins to shift your heart and your mind to what's really real. Let me tell you how this plays out practically. There's times where I just, you know what, I'm just going to let them have it. I'm a good pastor. They're mean people. Right, no, I'm just kidding. But there, there's, there's been moments where I've been frustrated. It could be with Jackie. It could be with frustrated with myself, a circumstance. You say, you get frustrated with your wife? I'm human. I don't know. Don't look at me like, I'll never get frustrated with my wife. Lies. There's something about that, like don't lie in light of Christ's return. But, but there could be a moment of frustration, and I just sense the Lord saying, just come be with me. And it's amazing how reality shifts in that moment. From all the things that I want to do to all the things that's right, that's wholesome, that's heavenly. Because see, prayer is not just us coming to God and saying, hey, here's what's, going here, here what's, hap here's what's happening on earth. No, prayer is to get a download from heaven. Of God saying, hey, here's what's happening in heaven. 
you need to watch your attitude, buddy, right? Let me, let me help shift and shape some of this reality. So, so what Peter is saying is this. Prayer is super important. you got to do whatever you can to, to be sober. you got to do whatever you can um, to be self-controlled because this. Oh, and here's the reality of it is that when you're not praying, it's not because you're too busy. When you're not praying, it's not because you don't have the time. When you're not praying, it's because you're intoxicated. You're drunk with a distraction. Something has intoxicated you. And what happens when you're intoxicated? You begin to lose sight of reality. Like you're really not that courageous. Hello, somebody. Anybody ever drink alcohol in here? Good. I'm glad all of you are holy. You're like, is that a rhetorical question? What? <laughs> I talk to people all the time that the reason why they drink alcohol is because they feel more courageous. It's a false reality. And it distorts your perspective on what's really real. So if our prayer life is struggling, if being with God is struggling, it may not be a time thing. It may not be a busy thing. It may be an intoxication and a distraction that we've allowed to seduce us in such a way that we've lost sight of what's really true, what's right, what's real, and what's going to benefit. Let me, let me paint a, a quick picture of this practically. Let me show you a slide. Look at this slide together. This is, this is kind of a, how psychologists would put together our decision-making processes. The first thing is that when a thought like this, if I tell you prayer is important, mm, I'm aware now, prayer is important, the return of Jesus is very important, <laughs> maybe I need to ponder this a little bit more. Hmm. What would my life look like of his return? I had a prayer life. What would my life look like if I lived in light of his return? Huh. And then it's like, man, what, I, I, everything could be completely different. And all of a sudden we start to value. We start to value this reality. Like, wow. Yeah, you know what? Man, I'm getting up at 4 a.m. and I'm praying for two hours. Tomorrow. Then there's a gap. There's a gap between your 4 a.m. value and you prioritizing that to wake up in the morning. And then, of course, to owning it and becomes a part of your life. There's this gap that is in between our value and how we prioritize these things in our life. Let me give you a better example. Pastor Chris and I, we were meeting on Thursday morning. We said, hey, we got to start taking care of ourselves. Right? we got to start eating better. I'm getting older. I want to be able to go the distance. So Christian needs you to hold me accountable. He's like, yeah, me too. We're going to hold you accountable. Okay. Thursday was my worst day. I binged like crazy. <laughs> I must have ate four different ice creams. No joke. Four different ice creams. I think I ate a raw cup of noodles. I, I drank two Starbucks refreshers. I might have had a glazed donut. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, at first I was like, Are you, am I depressed? What is wrong with me? No intoxicated intoxicated why because i'm looking i'm like man that donut looks um, incredible i open up the freezer look at all this chocolate and this ice cream i'm like pastor chris who i'm getting this and so if you're taking notes jot this down what we find in the gap is we find ourselves drunk with distraction so, so, so what do we do? And Jeff, you can come up and play for me. What do, what do we do? Like, how do we bridge this gap? 
Because what if I were to ask you today, is prayer of value to you? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I want you to ask that question. Is prayer of value to you? Now let me ask you this. How have you prioritized that in your everyday life? The hands would probably go up. Prayers of value, probably a ton of hands. Prayers that go up when prioritizing it, eh, not so much. What is intoxicated you? What is distracting you? So what's, what's the antidote for intoxication? Sober. You need to be sober. You ever had a sobering moment? I had one last Friday. I was coming back from doing a wedding, beautiful wedding in Morgan Hill, on our way to the men's conference. And that's like a three-hour tour, right? And you're stuck in traffic the whole time. It's brutal. All the way to Antioch. Morgan Hill to Antioch, imagine that drive. And so, so we're taking all these back roads, all these back roads, and finally we get to the spot where we passed all this freeway on 680 that just keeps you there for like two hours, and it's only like 15 minutes away with no traffic, and so you're having to wrestle through that. And, and I get to the place where we're going to go back onto the freeway, and I'm going into the carpool lane. Now, on any other day, the lane that I was in, you could legally go straight to the carpool lane. But on this day, there was a sign. There was a sign that said, you can't do that during traffic hours. And I was wondering why there was a police officer like sitting right there on the exit. And so I just thought, oh, carpool, let's go. And so as soon as I cross over that threshold, he's right in front of me. He's not even on his bike. He's just like, pull over. So I'm like, oh, man, we got to be somewhere. And I said, he said, hey, how you doing? He said, you know, you weren't supposed to do that. I said, man, I had no idea. I'm new to the area. I said, by the way, I'm an employee with the Pleasanton Police Department. I'm a chaplain. Just wanted to throw that out. Not trying to get out of a ticket. Just wanted to throw that out to you. Love and serve you guys so well. So he goes back to his car and he comes, comes back. He said, you know what? He said, you're a pastor. He said, how are you going to tell your people that you're not paying attention to signs? I said, we're a very transparent church, and I'm going to use it as an illustration on Sunday. (laughs) And he said, listen, he said, if you're new to the area, you should have watched more. You should have paid more attention to the signs. He said, you can't control all this crazy traffic, but you can control what you're watching. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we are living in in a time and a moment where you can't control a lot of things that are happening right now. But you can control what you're paying attention to. You can control what you're watching. Jesus said it like this. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know the... When the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn, continue. He says, if he comes suddenly, don't let him find you sleeping. I don't want to be a sleeping church, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, we're in 21 days of prayer right now. And and what we're saying, why prayer is so important, because we're inviting God to say, we want you to be a part of our life. We're inviting God to say, hey, listen, we don't just see you as a cherry on top. Like, you are our life. We're dependent on you. We need you every moment. 
And so that's why we strategically go into 21 days of prayer twice a year just to start off these new seasons saying, God, we want to hear from you. Because I'm going to tell you what, listen, God wants to do something in you. God wants to do something in us that we could not do on our own. It's only going to happen when we're communing with him. You say, well, Pastor Matt, I don't even know how to pray. That's okay. Because you can come to step two today. And we're going to teach you how. It's a whole lot easier than you think. But join us for step two right after the service. Like, what is that? What does it look like to pray? What does it look like to spend time with God? We're going to help you with that. Because it's, it's too important. We cannot neglect. We cannot be asleep. Jesus said, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Watch. How would life be different if you were living in the reality of Christ's return? I'll leave you with this question. And it's this. <coughs> Assess your prayer life today through this reality that Jesus could come at any moment. At any moment. The question isn't, is he coming? The question is, are you ready?